Hey guys, my name is Brady Clark, and I'm a member here at Redeemer. I'll be reading 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. You guys can take a seat. Um, Before we get into sermon, I want you all to know we're going to watch a video. It's about seven minutes long. Um, The the video is telling the story of Redeemer. Um, Just just, there's a lot of new faces here today that weren't here last week, so it's great for you guys to be here. There's a lot of faces here that haven't been here um, for the year that we've spent together. And so this is a great time just to remind everyone of our story, to give you a chance to see um, how we got to where we are. But the point of the video is not to prop up Redeemer. It's not really even to, to say, hey, here's our story. Look how awesome we are. Actually, we don't want that to be the response to the video. In the, the initial meeting of trying to understand, okay, what's the point of this video, um, even as reluctant as we were to have a video, uh, we decided we want this to be worship. We want this video to help everyone see that it is God who builds his church. And so um, as Kendall and I look back uh, this week through this video, through the editing process, and, and Brian and Kersey and Kelsey, as we all just took a look at this video um, we all just had this sinking feeling in a, in a good way, a good sinking, that I mean, we didn't do this. We didn't, like, stranglehold control over this place in order to get it where it is. And so we're grateful that God has brought us a year in, and we're preaching the gospel. We're growing together. It's going to take time. It's going to take years. But we're grateful to have a year under us. We look back and we worship. We cry. We're grateful. And so we look ahead, too, and and we just imagine and wonder what God can do. And so as you watch, um, please pay attention to uh, how it makes you feel. How does the story of the church, not specifically Redeemer, the story of the church make you feel? And we'll come back to that in the sermon, but what I want you to see is that God is at work. He is building his church in San Angelo and beyond. Um, well, what a, what a story just of, of God at work. Because really, um, there was no point along that timeline that we, without prayer and seeking counsel um, from God and his people, that we're just like, you know what, this is what I want. Let's go do this thing. And so um, thank you to all of you for, for being here today, but, but to, for being here for the last year. I see a lot of faces that have been around for a year and even before that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing this special time with us. Thank you. Um, some of you uh, came and joined us from communities and churches that you loved that were special place in your hearts. 
and you walked in obedience and, and, and said goodbye to those things and joined us. Some of you didn't get to choose. Um, and it, thank you for being here. I know it has been a year of, of joys, of griefs, um, happiness, sadness, uh, of mixed emotions, and that's okay. You're allowed to be human. You're allowed to, to have multiple feelings about something. Um, and so thank you. I'm going to pray one more time, uh, and then we'll get into the sermon. Would you all pray with me, please? Sovereign God, Holy Father, God, we submit this year to you that we've spent together. We ask that you would bless it in our memories. We ask that you'd bring healing. God, we ask that you would strengthen our faith in you. We believe, help our unbelief. And God, we ask that you would help us to trust you as we move forward into this next year. That we not look to um, more and more Christian activity, as good as it is, but that we would live from a place of a secure identity in your son. And that you'd bring us fruitful action through your Holy Spirit. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for leading us and guiding us. We have everything we need. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, thanks for uh, praying with me again. If you have not yet done so, go ahead and open up to 1 Peter. We'll look there. If you have a bookmark or something, um, we're going to also flip over to Colossians 3.12. But that's not for a little while. <clears throat> I've been reading this book called The Loveliest Place. And the, the quote that Brian gave before about, uh, from Charles Spurgeon is in the introduction of this book. Yes, okay, I read introductions. If you don't read introductions, that's okay. Um, I'm not judging you. You probably don't need the introduction like I need it. You're probably smarter than I am but I read introductions. You can label me as that guy. In the introduction, uh, the author, Dustin Binge, pleads this case for how we should all see the church. And he uses the word should a lot. And that word should connects me to my shame that I, I don't. I don't often see the church as the loveliest place. And when he quotes Spurgeon, he quotes about how this is the dearest place on earth and and it should conjure thoughts of um, hospitality and community and warm, fuzzy feelings of a place to belong. And as your pastor, it's hard for me to be this honest, but I have to because I'm asking you also to be honest. I feel a little bit of shame that that does not come natural to me. But it doesn't come natural to me because I'm a human, because I have human experiences with other humans. 
And so as we think about this video, as we think about the, the story of the first year of Redeemer, and as I want you also to consider your own story and history of the church, because most of us in this room have a history with the body of Christ before August 2021. And so bring that into the context here. Consider those histories, consider those feelings. What I hope that we see is that God is at work, God is building his church, he's alive and he's at work through his people. But what I also hope that you see is that this is done in a context of weakness, of brokenness, of pain, of imperfection, of insecurity, And let me tell you, in that context, God looks at his church and he says, you are chosen, you are holy, and you are dearly loved. He knows our imperfections and our weakness. He knows us as individuals, how broken we are. He knows our context and our history. He knows together as one body what our history is. He knows it, yet he still calls us chosen and precious. We have to be able to understand this. And as long as we don't, this is where we need to stay. Over the next three weeks, we're gonna be walking through who we are as the church, uh, and, and we're gonna focus more on our identity as the people of God, the chosen people of God. And so we're gonna walk through, you see, changed, chosen, and empowered, changed by the gospel of Jesus chosen to be in a unified community, a unified family specifically, and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do good works and make disciples. But before we understand any of that, we have to take, in conjunction with our thoughts and our feelings about the church, we have to take seriously the way God sees us. We cannot do before we be. Terrible English. I'm sorry, Brian. Our, our doing comes from our being. What we do comes from who we are. Our doing is important, but it has a foundation of who we are. And so um, why is it important that we understand and believe, not just understand and confess with our mouths, but that we understand and we believe that we are chosen and precious in God's sight? Why is that important? Well, it influences uh, the way that we see two things. It influences the way we see one another. For me to know God sees me as chosen and precious because of Jesus, but because I'm a part of a whole, right? He sees me that way, but he sees all of us that way. It changes the way I relate to you all. It changes the way we love one another. It changes the way we talk to one another. It changes the way that we live with one another but it also changes the way that we interpret how God relates to us. If we can see clearly without doubt, with, well, we're gonna have doubts, but without, without um, resistance to say, yes, God sees me and us as the church as chosen and precious, then we're gonna trust him that his word is true. We're gonna trust him that his plans for us are good and right. We're gonna know that whatever it is that we face, 
whether it's, it's rejection from the world or rejection from within the church, we know that God is sovereign, God is in charge, and he's for our good. What we think of and what we feel when we talk about church matters because it, it, interp- it influences how we interpret God relating to us and how we relate to one another, okay? And so before we get into chosen, uh, change chosen and empowered, we need to understand how God the Father feels about his children, how Jesus the Son sees his bride, and how the Holy Spirit relates to the people in whom he dwells. We belong to God. And in his sight, we are chosen and precious. Can we, just, can we just let that sink in for a second? It's hard for me to believe. It's got to break through my thick skin and my hard heart. So let's say it again. If you need to close your eyes and just receive it, that's fine. This is scripture. This isn't just my words. We belong to God. And in his sight, we are chosen and precious. Peter greets this church. Um, Brady, well done on reading those names. Um, Who would have thought that Galatia would be the easier of those names? Asia. Peter greets this church throughout what we would recognize as modern Turkey. He calls them some, a, a special name, elect exiles. How can something be both elect and an exile? It's almost an oxymoron. It, it feels like a contradiction. Elect meaning chosen, picked for the team, accepted, voted in and at the same time, exiles, rejected, unacceptable, denied, kicked out, voted out, no thank you, we don't want you. We are elect exiles. We are elect exiles because he's not just talking to the church here in first century. It's easy for us to believe that when Peter writes to first century church, that the Holy Spirit is only talking of the first century church, right? We're not persecuted in the same way they were. We're not actually politically and socially exiled, kicked off into this random uh, abandoned island just to starve to death. We're not physically exiled, but we are spiritual exiles, sojourners, Peter refers to the church later as sojourners and aliens. We are chosen. We are elect, but we are also exiles. We are called out of darkness and into the kingdom of the beloved son. And while we wait for the fullness of the kingdom of the beloved son to come to us, we still wait in the darkness. But like Tyler read, although we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, will fear no evil, because you are with me. Elect exiles. Um, and, and it's important that, that we know why Peter greets the church this way. 
I will let you know. If you're waiting for a sermon on predestination, just take a deep breath. Exhale and just relax. That's not this morning. We're going to be okay. Um, we're not getting into Calvinism, Arminianism, none of that. But I do want to encourage you uh, and help you see why Peter greets the church this way. Pastor Sam Storms, he says this, it is, a, it is significant that at the beginning of Peter's letter to a hurting, persecuted, and oppressed people facing myriad trials, he focuses on election. That being elect should bring us comfort. That being chosen by God, known before, should bring us comfort. And we, we aren't persecuted in the same way, but we have the same enemy who wants to pull us away from the kingdom of the beloved son back into the darkness that we were called out of. We have the same uh, spiritual war that we're, that we're fighting, the same flesh that we're fighting against that wants to pull us out of salvation, out of the truth, and into a doubt, a disbelief of God. And so it's important that we understand Peter's focus on election is not a contradiction, but it's a, a dual reality. And I wanna, I wanna encourage you and bring you comfort from uh, 1 Peter 2.4 because our identity as elect exiles is given to us by Jesus himself. And it's given to us by Jesus because this identity as an elect exile is the identity of Jesus. We see all through the gospels that Jesus is rejected. We see, um, do you remember in, in Mark, and uh, we'll, we'll focus specifically on Mark, when Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, um, who do people say that I am? And they're, they're like, well, people say a lot of things about you. They think you're a really good prophet. They think you're an amazing teacher. They think that you probably could even be Elijah. And Jesus says, yeah, but, but what do you say? You know me. They don't know me. What do you say? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the Savior. You're the King. And Jesus says, on this rock, on this stone, I will build my church, on this living stone. And Peter refers back to that moment in 1 Peter 2.4. He's standing on the truth of who Jesus is when he says, as you come to him, this living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. The Holy Spirit, through Peter, in chapter two of his first letter, refers to Jesus as a living stone, the king, the truth, the Messiah, God himself rejected by men, but in the sight of the Father, chosen and precious. So this identity that we have as elect exiles comes from our King and our Savior, Jesus. We get his identity as elect exile. Now, let's, let's look at this. I wanna, I wanna break that down a little bit. And I'm gonna ask you just to linger here. Like if you're looking for a sermon application, here it is. Linger on this truth. 
How God sees his son is how God sees me and how God sees us as his church. Maybe rejected by men, but in his sight, chosen and precious. 1 Peter 2.4 is first about Jesus. And that brings us comfort because it starts with rejected by men, right? Like I said, his life was full of rejection. He was rejected by the religious elite, the very people that should have known he was coming and that should have seen the signs and confirmed them and taught the rest of Israel to believe. He was rejected by the religious elite. He was rejected by ordinary people. Day workers, businessmen and women, children, just rejected as the Messiah. He was also rejected by his own family and his closest friends. Jesus knows your rejection. The spirit of Jesus in you, believer, knows and feels your rejection because he experienced rejection. Rejected by men. But he also is chosen and precious in the Father's sight. And we cannot get part of his identity. We cannot only get the comfort of being rejected like him. We also get the comfort of being accepted by the Father. Jesus gives us the fullness of his identity as elect exile. And so what, what Peter says about Jesus in Peter, 1 Peter 2.4, he also says about the church. And read the rest of this letter. It's an incredible encouragement. You'll see these motifs again and again and again. Chosen, rejected, chosen, rejected, chosen, chosen, chosen. The way that the father sees his son is the way that the father sees his sons and daughters. But also the way that the world sees God's son is the way that the world sees his sons and his daughters. So find comfort in rejection because you have a sympathetic king. Find comfort in the fact that like him you are rejected, but like him you are chosen and precious. And this is where you linger. So if you want a couple of uh, um, memory verses, we've already got 1 Peter 1, 1 through 2. It's our text for this morning. We also have 1 Peter 2, 4. And I'm going to give you a third one. Colossians 3, 12. Colossians 3, 12. We'll turn there for just a second. Now, I want you to understand this identity as chosen and precious is not deserved. It's not earned. It's not performed for. And it's not kept by us. It is only an identity given to us by Jesus himself, freely. That's called grace. That's called mercy. So when Peter ends his greeting, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. That's what he's saying that this is who you are and you didn't have to earn it. And I, I pray that you know that in an overflowing 
fashion. There's no condition for behavior. And this is why it's important because um, as we look at one another, we often, we often want to project that condition on one another and even ourselves. We've talked about that before with Brian and I, performance and, and deserving and earning grace is a big temptation for us. But it's also a big temptation for us. If we believe that to be true for ourselves, then we also must believe it to be true for one another. And the gospel fights against our performance. What is being said in Colossians 3, what is being said in 1 Peter, is that you have done nothing to earn your status as an elect exile. You've done nothing to perform for or deserve being chosen and precious. So we must not expect our brothers and sisters to perform for it. Let's look at Colossians 3.12. The context of Colossians 3, Paul is encouraging the church in Colossae um, to put sin to death and to walk in obedience. And he interrupts himself in verse 12. He says, put on then. So he says, put off, take off sin, slander, anger, wrath, malice. Put off all the sinful flesh. Put on then. And then he interrupts himself. But before you know what to put on and how, you need to know that you are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Before we know what to do and how to act and what obedience and righteousness looks like, we must first know that we are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Why would God see us this way? Remember, Paul's talking to a people who he's telling, you have to put your sin to death. You have to. So he's obviously speaking to a sinful people. Why would God see us this way? We're so messy. We're prone to all the list of things in 5 through 11 in Colossians 3. Anger, wrath, malice. Hateful speech towards one another. Lying. Covetousness, sexual immorality. Why would God see us as chosen holy, and beloved. With the pain that we've experienced, with the brokenness that I have, the history of church that I have, the pain we've caused, Peter's not ignorant as he writes to the church. And so let's flip back over to 1 Peter, 2, or 1 Peter 1. He's not ignorant of the context. They're persecuted, they're hurting, and they're oppressed. But what is also true is that they're broken, sinful people, redeemed by the gospel of Jesus. And so we're gonna look at three things. As you meditate on your identity as chosen and precious, I want you also to, to continue to, to think on and, and respond to your doubt. You're, you're naturally gonna doubt this, or it's gonna be, you're gonna resist this. And so I want you to think on three things. You are known by the Father. You are changed by the Spirit. 
and you're perfected by the Son. Peter's so richly Trinitarian in his letter. We are known by the Father, changed by the Spirit, and perfected by the Son. So let's start. Foreknown by the Father. We see uh, there in verse 2, he explains this elect exile. We're elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So foreknown means elect. These are interchangeable um, terms. And when Scripture talks about knowledge, there's this um, sense maybe taken for granted sometimes that it's also talking about love. There's this deep unity between the word know and love. That you can't truly love someone without knowing them, right? And you can't truly know someone without loving them through what you know about them. So to be foreknown by the Father is also to be foreloved by the Father. And what this means is that the Father has chosen you, he's known you, and he's loved you long before you even knew that you existed. But long before you knew and loved him. God loves you because he knows you. And he knows you because he loves you and he chooses you. I know this is the first one, but come on. That deserves an amen. I'm gonna say this again. Let's practice this. God loves you because he knows you. And he knows you because he loves you. And he chooses you. There you go. Good job. Can we uh, edit the video on that to cut out the first part? Just kidding. Foreknown by the Father. Foreloved by the Father. Sanctified by the Spirit. Or another way to say that is changed, purified, made holy, made righteous, made to be something you could never achieve for yourself. Sanctified. Sanctified. The word means holy. Sanctus is holy. You're a holy one. What did you do for that? Even if you think that you could earn your own holiness, don't you feel shame and guilt still? You're like, I, I've earned this, but I'm just not good enough. You haven't. You can't. It's a status that can only be given by God. Holiness. Let's just talk about like Levitical law for a second. Y'all like Leviticus, right? Peter's writing on the foundation of the Old Testament. Leviticus is the centerpiece of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, what all of Scripture stands on. Leviticus is the middle. It's revealing to us the whole point. And one of the primary themes of Leviticus is holiness. How does something be made holy? In, In all of Scripture, do we ever see something just say, oh, and then that became holy? on its own accord, or by something it did. Holiness is directly connected to proximity to the Holy One. You cannot be holy unless God makes you holy, unless he brings you near, unless he knows you and he loves you. You can't. And this isn't just for people, this is things too. Consecrated things in the temple could only be made holy by God. 
if God declared it to be so. Holiness, your holiness comes from direct proximity to the Father, being known, foreknown, and foreloved by the Father. Is, is chosen and precious starting to come alive a little bit more? The third one, we're perfected by Jesus, brought into obedience by Jesus and sprinkled with his blood. Those two things are there right next to each other on purpose. They mean the same thing. Your obedience is not your own. You are given the obedience of Jesus when he died on the cross because he lived a perfect life. And when he died on the cross and his blood spilled on the ground, the fulfillment of Leviticus, what we were just talking about, this, this atonement process, how do we make ourselves holy? We can't. Well, there's gotta be a sacrifice in order for that to happen. Hebrews tells us that the sacrifices of animals, the blood of animals could not pay the price. There's a judgment day. We will still die. But in 1 Peter 1, Verse two, we see that our obedience, our righteousness, our perfection in the Father's eyes is given to us by the sprinkling of the blood of the Son, that he paid the price for us. We can't make ourselves holy, but then we're, we're made holy by the blood of the Son in his death. So let me, let me, see the, let me say this. This is what the, the whole of verse two is saying. Because... God loves you and sees you as precious. He chose you. Because he chose you, he makes you clean and holy through Jesus. And because he makes you clean and holy, you're then given the ability and the opportunity to walk in obedience. Because Jesus has already obeyed, you're free to obey. Our entire being is wrapped up in Jesus, in his life, his death, and his resurrection. Let me, let me explain. In his perfect life, we find our own lives perfected before the Father. In his death, we find ourselves dead to sin also. And in his resurrection, we find ourselves in an eternally restored relationship. That starts today. That starts whenever you said yes to Jesus. This isn't this future hope that we're waiting for this relationship to be restored. We're waiting for it to be fulfilled. It's already restored. We have eternity right now. The fundamental common thread among all of us in this room, among, between us and the first century church in modern Turkey, and let me encourage you with this, all the believers who have not yet believed, the common thread is that God the Father has chosen and loved us. God the Spirit leads us and makes us right. And God the Son purchased us. And he made us perfect like himself. Chosen and precious. So we'll celebrate together. We're gonna celebrate. Um, we're not celebrating just our birthday. We're celebrating a greater thing. We're celebrating the gospel what Jesus has won for us. And so we're gonna celebrate with communion. We've got a table in the back. We've got um, two tables on the sides here. 
whichever is closest and most comfortable to you. Let's remember as we celebrate community, as we celebrate communion, that we're doing this in a community together, but we're also unified with the community of believers, the rest of the believers who have ever existed. This is a centuries-old practice of remembrance. For 2,000 years, we've stood on the foundation of the gospel as we've taken the bread and the cup. And remember this, we are chosen and precious. We are chosen and precious. So if you're not a Christian this morning, I do ask that you would refrain. Um, and the Bible says that it's good in 1 Corinthians 11. And so instead of taking the elements this morning, would you please just pray and reflect? Just reflect on the truth of Jesus this morning. And I wanna ask that you would that you'd trust him. Would you say yes to Jesus? because there's no other way that you can be made chosen and precious in God's sight. Now, if you're a part of Redeemer, if you've been with us for the last year, the last month, however long, or you're just a guest this morning and you hope to be a part in the future, we're gonna take communion together. If you are in Christ, let's meditate as we take the elements. Let's meditate on our identity as elect exiles rejected by men, but in God's sight, chosen and precious. Holy Father, we come to you, a broken church, each of us having our own histories, our own hurts, our own contexts. And some of us think back on on when we say the word church, we think back and, and we're filled with joy. We're filled with affection. But the reality is that many of us don't have that response. And so would you heal us with your truth? Would you heal us that we get to feel that brokenness? We get to feel that sadness and that pain? Would we look to you for healing? Not demand that the church heals us for you, God, would you, would you soothe our wounds with your gospel? Would you remind us of what is most true about us as your people? That we may be rejected by men, but we are chosen and precious in your sight. Amen.